What's up, guys? Welcome back to Your Life, God's Word. We are taking the scriptural kingdom principles that uh, God lays out for us and applying them to all of the aspects, all of the aspects of our lives. Hope you guys are enjoying the content. Definitely hit us up at uh, podcast, breadbreakers.com. If you'd like to uh, pose a question, possibly come up with a, with a topic for us to cover, uh, don't forget to subscribe. If you're on YouTube, subscribe and hit that little bell so you get the notifications. If you're listening to this on some other podcast service, be sure to subscribe to the feed so you are notified whenever we put out our new episodes, which generally is Tuesday mornings for the podcast, and uh, we try to get Friday uh, afternoons for the YouTube uh, the YouTube channel. We are going to, and we actually already do, much more content on the YouTube channel than just on the podcast. So the podcast, uh, great opportunity. Again, we go into a little more in-depth teaching and longer form. Uh, you can go to the YouTube channel. Again, Bread Breakers. You can go to that YouTube channel to uh, connect and get even more flavor, more videos. We put sermons and stuff out there as well. So I hope you enjoy that. Today, we're talking about part four. We're in our series on the harmony or unity of the body of Christ. We're calling it the music of heaven. And uh, in part one, we went, we did like an overview. Part two, we basically go through three different areas where there might be some tension within the body of Christ. So areas we need to be on the lookout for uh, possible disunity or, or things of that nature. And then in part three, which is the latest one that just came out, we uh, we went through some of the attitudes and character that we need to develop individually and collectively as a church body to be able to facilitate unity and harmony within the body of Christ. Today. We are going to do something on the opposite side of that coin, and that is we're going to go through some of the some of the barriers to unity, some of the things that that can cause us to stumble, some of the things that can cause us to have disunity within the body of Christ. Now, these are things that ultimately, if you go back and you you were to look at part two or especially part three, it's kind of the opposite of those. Right, we talk about things like thankfulness and humility, and right, love. The things we're going to talk about today are kind of the polar opposite of those things. So you're gonna, they're gonna go hand in hand. So I would highly recommend going back and uh, watching or listening to those as well. So today we're gonna jump right in with Isaiah chapter 59, Isaiah 59, verses one and two. Reads this way: Behold. The Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. Watch this. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. It's not that he cannot hear. He does not hear. Uh, why? Because of the iniquity, the sin, the transgression that separates us from God. So the first thing we're going to talk about today is just straight up sin. Anything and everything that can fall under the category of sin, I tend to like to boil things down to very relatable, practical uh, definitions, understandings of things. So when, when I say sin, I try to just say, listen, this is anything that is in disobedience to God. If God says do it and we do not, that's sin. If God says do not do it and we do it, that's sin. It's really that simple. And generally, th I mean, this is found in the scriptures, right? 
Um, I, as a, as, a, as a man, I, as a, as a fellow brother in the body of Christ, or as a leader, or a pastor, or a teacher, or whatever, I can, uh, I can give you my opinions, I can give you good counsel and advice that may be legitimate and good, and maybe it's even a, an impression or something directly from God for you. But to disobey what I say is not necessarily a sin, unless what I'm saying is directly right there in Scripture from God. Um, Paul was very clear in, in this distinction when he wrote to the Corinthians, for instance. He said, hey, this is God. This is my opinion over here. You can go read his discourse um, in various places within the epistles and see that, that he, he was completely comfortable with showing people, hey, this is my opinion, I, I'm, I'm the apostle, I am a man of God, I'm <laughs> but this is my opinion, and I think, you know, you might do well to, to, to listen to it. But at the same time, when he was delivering something that was a clear command from God, at that point, if we don't do it, if we disobey it, that's sin. So it's a simple way to, to kind of categorize sin. It's disobedience to God, plain and simple. 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, we're going to kind of step through this so 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because... We shall see him as he is, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Now, this gets to a broader discussion on things like consecration, holiness, righteousness, which we're not going to dive into too much today, um, but that, that is something that bears studying, bears talking about, bears um, uh, diving into. But notice that he says, everyone who has this hope, right, this hope in Christ, everyone who truly does have it, what do they do? We, we are supposed to be purifying ourselves. We are supposed to be in a process of sanctification, of purification, of consecration. And it, it's, it's not something like, oh, wow, this is, you know, sp certain special people do this. If you're, you know, you're really feeling to get your Jesus on this week, then you really do this. No, this is just a normal outgrowth of the hope that we have in Christ. Now, I realize that that is not true for many, many people, okay? There are many people that if you look at their lives, you watch them, you just, and again, you're, just not, you're not judging them, you're not, but it's just an obvious thing that they are not trying to be less and less like the world. They're not trying to cut out as much as they can um, to be closer to Jesus. If anything that he even, if, if, if it even smells of, I don't think Jesus is going to like this, or it, it even has the hint of, mm, I don't know that the Holy Spirit is, is really wanting me to go that way or do that thing or whatever, right? A lot of people have the attitude that's more like, well, I mean, I'd like to live as close as I can to the edge, as close as I can to be like the world, look like them, be like them, talk like them, go to all the same places, do all the same things, except also on Sundays I go to church and I, and I love Jesus too. That is not the, the, the mentality that you find in the Scriptures, though. It, it just isn't. This is 1 John 3, but you, this is all over the Scriptures. It's, it's sort of a given that if we're Spirit-filled, we truly are Spirit-filled, um, 
that there's evidence of that. Now, I, again, my, my Pentecostal brothers and sisters, right? Yes, the evidence, you know, speaking in tongues. Work. Um, yeah, but <laughs> let, let me just say this. You can be speaking in tongues and be totally lost and totally carnal. Um, in fact, the Corinthian church was in that exact boat. Go read the book of 1 Corinthians. You'll be able to see that very easily. So the measure of our walk with God is not whether we speak in tongues. The measure is, are we walking in the Spirit? And the way we know that is actually obvious to other people. It's visible to other people. It's called fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. We're going to talk about it in a minute. But, well, we're going to talk about the opposite, right? <laughs> but anyway, Galatians 5, you can go read through that yourself. But it's it, again, it's, this is stuff that other people can see. Other people can see, oh, wow, that person, you know, they used to do this. They don't do that anymore. They used to behave this way. They don't. They used to have this in their character. They don't now. Why? Because we're purifying ourselves. So back to 1 John chapter 3, um, verse 4 now. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. So I said disobedient to God. This is exactly what that's saying. Disobedient to what? God's law, right? It's not, uh, I, I went, you know, five over the speed limit and therefore I'm, I'm sinning now, right? That it, It's lawlessness before God. Um, verse five, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins and in him there is no sin. No one who abides, there's that word abide, people really like to get caught up in that word abide, and it's fine as long as it's a scriptural understanding of the word. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. So let me, let me just substitute the word sinning for what sinning means, okay? No one who abides in him keeps on disobeying him. See how that works? Because a lot of times when we say sin, we think like murder, we think like, you know, open theft or fraud, you know, or not, I mean, even even white lies, some Christians can sort of rationalize, but, you know, definitely the, the evil black lies, whatever that is, right? But no one who keeps, who abides in him keeps on disobeying him. So if we're abiding in Christ, we should be able to, you know, roll out the, the scripture and see that we are lining up in obedience to him. See how that test of whether we really are abiding, it's not so feely and, and ooh, I just feel it just out there in the ether somewhere. It's actually very practical. Are we abiding in him? Well, then we won't be disobeying him. We won't be living in any kind of disobedience. He goes on to say, no one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Very strong language. Verse 7, little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. <laughs> Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Remember the word sinning means disobeying God. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil, which is what? Being in disobedience to God. Verse 9, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. There it is again, abiding, right? He goes on, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Verse 10, by this it is evident 
who are the children of God. Oh, okay, he's, he's showing us there's a way that we can look and see evidence that someone is born of God. How can we do that? Oh, they're up, up, up front speaking in tongues or up front getting a good blessing. They did a cartwheel across the front. They, you know, they, they ran around the building four times and did a backflip. No, I don't think that's what he says. Let's, let's read what he says. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God nor is the one who does not love his brother. So a couple of real easy tests. We, a couple of weeks ago, did a whole podcast uh, episode on, is on YouTube as well on what it means to love our brother and how that's not just words, that's not just, okay, so please go, go look at that um, because I'm not going to dive into it again. But this part here, whoever does not practice righteousness, right? Practical righteousness, you're actually doing, you're actually doing something. Right? It's not just, oh, I got this righteousness on the inside, and I just, ooh, me and Jesus, we're just, you know, here floating around, abiding. And again, I'm, I'm poking a little bit, but I believe in all these things, right? Abiding in Him, right? I believe that. I think it's powerful. And we need to have that. We need to have, I'd say, even the emotional and the feeling side, because God created us, created us as emotional beings. But it, that's not what it is. He boils it down to practical evidence, you can see when somebody is walking in the Spirit. You can see when someone is born of God. How do we know? They practice, okay, actual practical righteousness. Galatians 5, 16 through 18, reiterates this point. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So he, he kind of dives down a little bit more, and he says, your normal human secular desires and mindsets, you're not going to gratify those things if you are walking in the Spirit. So again, it's, it's, it's an internal test. It's something we can, we can know. We can kind of look at ourselves and do a self-assessment, but others can see it too. You can see if someone is just living according to what they want to do, right? Me, my I, well, I don't feel this way, or I, it doesn't appeal to me, or was that, you know, did that make me feel good, or th- these are, this is the language of people who are living in the flesh. The people who are living in the flesh, it's not about God, it's not about Christ, it's not about, well, is it truth, and am I doing that? It, you know, it, it, what it's about is, it's me, it's my, it's I, it's mine. This is the evidence of people that are living in the flesh. Verse 17, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Verse 18, but if you're led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. So we're not under the law if we're led of the Spirit. If we're led of the Spirit, we won't be gratifying our our normal human secular desires. Let's flip that around, though. If we are gratifying our human secular desires, that means we are not walking in the Spirit, and therefore we do need law. The Bible talks about how the law is for the lawless, right? People like to, you know, go to church on Sunday, even if they're faithful, they go every Sunday, and think that means, well, I'm walking in the Spirit, therefore I'm not under the law. No, that's wrong. Going to church on Sunday is some fruit, some things that, oh, what I'm seeing, there is a distinction here, right? You're doing more than what a lot of other people do, but that is not the evidence. There's a lot more to see. Well, you're going to church on Sunday. Well, how do you live Monday through Saturday, though? 
That is much more telling in many instances. And so it is a visible thing. It is, he says right here, this is how we know in 1 John 3. This is how we know when someone's born of God. It's evident. It's evidential. It's practical, right? Practical righteousness. Just a lot of things here. And this is what I love about God is he is the emotion. I've been in meetings before where, I mean, just the, the, the power of God is so thick and so heavy. I mean, you're just, I mean, crying and just, oh, I mean, it's almost like tangible. You can feel the presence of God. I love it. It's awesome. Pro, uh, prophetic words going for tongues interpretation, just amazing things. But, but, but again, the experience is awesome. But stepping back where the foundation is, where the meat is, where is in the practical Every day, <laughs> there's evidence, right? This is how God works. He gives that experience. He, I love the experience of Pentecost, all of it. He gives the the, the miraculous. He, but that's not that's not the that's not the end all. That that is secondary. the The primary is the very practical, foundational things. Like again, words like evidence, practical righteousness, and things of that nature. So you can go read Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. They both talk about how at one point, again, we were like this. We were in our flesh. We were in, you know, these are you know, biblical words. Our flesh meaning secular carnal mindsets. Carnal means secular. Normal, human. That's how normal human beings act um, that are not led by the Spirit. And you'll see that this, this is over and over through Scripture. It's iterated, reiterated over and over. Now let's go to Galatians 5. 19 through 22. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, right? These are things that you tend to think of when you think of like sin or works of the flesh or the, ooh, the wickedness of man and stuff, right? I'm going to read again. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like this. I warn you, as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Interesting. Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But look at this list, right? We Things like sexual morality, sorcery, Oh my goodness, yeah, sorcery, man. That whew, Out there just doing those wicked, evil things. But look at some of the things he names. We're going to cover three of them right here. Rivalries, dissensions, divisions. Rivalries, dissensions, divisions. So we are going to talk a little bit more about division, um, but I, I want to put it in the context, we're talking about sin right now. We're talking about sin. Division is not something that's just like bad form, like, oh, you know, God really kind of prefers you don't do that. It's it's more than that. Divisions, dissensions, things like this, they are sin. It, it's a sin to do these things. I want to just kind of call that out because some people, again, who are not walking in that vein of, I just want to be as pleasing to God as I can. I want to be consecrated. I want to be, I want to practice righteousness. If people are in that in, in a vein that's not consecration, many times they'll think along these lines. Black and white, is it a sin or is it not? If it's not, I'm really I'm really not going to worry about it too much. Okay? I, I just want to put this in in the context of this is not even just like a weight or things that uh, we you know kind of next level consecration. We want to start start 
kind of moving away from these things. Rivalries, dissensions, divisions, these things are right alongside sexual immorality, drunkenness, sorcery, and idolatry. They are absolutely sin, and people who do these things, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, what do these words mean? The word rivalries, uh, I'm reading from the ESV, but this word in the Greek, it is, uh, you can go look it up for yourself, it's New Testament uh, 2052, 2052, um, erithia, and it means contention or strife. I think some versions of the Bible also say, say strife. In the New Testament, it means from you can go to Blue Letter um, Bible, which is really cool, um, really cool online free study tool. Courting, uh, courting a courting distinction, a desire to put oneself forward, a partisan. Right, we hear that word a lot with politics and stuff. A partisan and factious spirit, which does not disdain low arts, partisanship. Faction, factiousness. <laughs> Got to read this thing. Factiousness. So, I think some versions of the Bible even translate this as factions, right? Partisan, like people, people playing political games within the church. People trying to put themselves forward. People trying to, you know, jockey for position. These types of things. This, this can actually be sin, right? That's very. That's scary. Because this is a normal thing, and you know, people just tend to be tribal. Just it's just who we are, right? When I say tribal, think of, you know, you like chess. A lot of people like chess. You 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 develop a little chess thing over here, right? That's that's kind of tribalism. I mean, all tribalism isn't necessarily evil and terrible and wicked. I mean, it's it's, you know, some of it can be very just basic. <laughs> we all like this thing. People like kayaking. You gravitate toward people who like kayaking. You like sushi, right? It's like kind of a little little click, right? Ooh, they like sushi. They go out and have sushi or whatever. But that's who we are. That's how we are. But in the church, we have to be very careful because this can lead to this can lead to sin, where we are starting to we're starting to get into this this um, this partisanship within the body of Christ, putting ourselves forward. Um, Putting our, you know, trying to, trying to, you know, weave in and out of the the wheels of power, the levers of power, you know, this this kind of stuff. So, uh, goes on here and says, apparently in the New Testament, according distinction, um, a desire to put oneself forward, right? Put oneself forward. We need to be careful. The Bible does talk about, you know, taking the lower seat. Jesus talked about, you know, when you go to a place. Don't take the place of high position. If, if you need to be in the place of high position, let somebody else call you, you know, be the one to kind of call you up. That's the attitude we're supposed to have. The second word here, dissensions, okay, the costa, costasia. Huh? You like that? It is New Testament 1370, and it means disunion, okay? Dissension, uh, division, sedition. So some, again, some of these words are words that other translations of the Bible might translate it as like seditions. Um, and this one, again, it, it's, it's, a, it, it's a secondary way to, to explain some of these different little factions, right? One is you're putting yourself forward. It's more like, 
you know, kind of conniving and you're, you know, you're, you're, you're setting yourself apart, trying to weasel your way, you know, kind of into a place of in the limelight and the spotlight or whatever. That's the, the rivalries where we're, you know, partisanship within the church. This one is more, again, just straight up disunion, dissension, right? Where we've got these, these different, um, these different little cliques that turn into real dissension within the church and we have to, again, all of these things we have to be on guard against. The third one, um, hierisis, is, um, is New Testament 139. And again, you can look all these up yourself, study them. But it's, it's where we get the word heresy from. And some, again, translations actually say heresies. Um, and this is where you're basically putting your opinions your ideas, your understanding of things above everyone else. Now, again, this isn't to say you can't have disagreements within the church. We we know that there are disagreements within the church. We know that there are things that I'll say are secondary. They're not, you know, of salvation. They're not primary things in the kingdom that we can have dif- differing opinions on. But here's the thing, right? If you have a differing opinion, you're going to a, you're, you're connected to a body of Christ. The leaders of that place have taught you know, one thing a specific way. And it's a it's a gray area. It could go it could go path A or path B. And they've chosen path A. This is the way we kind of see this, the way we teach this. We don't make a huge deal out of it, but this is where we lean. And you think it's path B. You disagree. But you want to go there. You like this place. You're connected to this body of Christ. You want to serve. You want to be right. It's not a good idea to be going around and spreading path B around when path A or understanding A, or, you know, whatever, is what the, that church happens to be kind of locking in. Why? Because all we're doing is, I mean, you can have a differing opinion. I, again, I don't even know that it's a problem for someone to know I have, you know, I have a different opinion, eh, no big deal, whatever, we agree, agree to disagree. You know, I'm on board with what they're teaching. What they're teaching is not you know, wrong, it's true, it's right. I just, you know, see a little different. But we're not talking about it all the time. We're not out there like every time we go to lunch, every time we're at a prayer meeting, every time we're you know out in, a, in mixing amongst the body of Christ, we have to make sure people know our opinion. That's actually can lead to sin because you are choosing your opinion, my opinion, whatever it is. Should we go to leadership and express this? We could sit down, ha- have a have a nice you know cup of coffee or something with. Um, your Bibles and let's let's break this out and talk about it and and if it's important enough, go ahead, go for it. You know, I think that's a good idea. And iron sharpens iron. And maybe the leadership will say, "Hey, we never seen it this way," and we'll we're going to back off our stand or or even say, "Hey, you know what? We'll start teaching it a little less stringent because we see that there's another another thing here." One example of this is eschatology. That um, people have different views on this thing, right? Preterism. Um, let me see if I can remember. It. There's there's postmillennialism, premillennial. I can't talk. Premillennialism and amillennialism, right? There's different, there's like, I don't know, five, six, seven different views to have within this stuff. There's just so many different things that people can, how they can view it, okay? I don't think that's a big deal. And I think churches should be open to, hey, you know what? We're, we can have a friendly debate within the church itself. But hey, let's not be, there's a difference between, you know, you're, you say to somebody, yeah, I mean, you know, the pastor said that. I, I kind of see it a little bit different. Here's some of the things I've been thinking. But yeah, you know what? No big deal. There's a difference between that and like, yeah, he's wrong about that. He, you know, he needs to learn the scriptures. He needs to realize what the real truth is. This kind of stuff. That 
right? I think that is sin. You are causing division. You are in a mode of possible, again, not heresy against the scriptures, but this definition, which really is causing dissension and division. So go study those, um, go study those out. Um, one, one way to look at this is uh, opinion varying from true exposition of the Christian faith, so a true heresy, but it can also be a body of men following their own tenets. So a group of people who decide, you know, we see it this way. All right, well, maybe it's, it's not a, maybe it's not a black and white, like heaven and hell, clear distinction, primary thing in the scriptures. Let's just not cause division over this. So I think there are a couple of safeguards against some of these things. One is take stuff to leadership. You have a disagreement? Express it. Talk about it. Maybe they'll have a chance to to win you over. Maybe you'll have a chance to win them over. Maybe you walk away and say, hey, agree to disagree. Love your bro. Love what we have here. Let's keep on trucking. Or maybe it's a, I'm too, I'm too caught up in this thing and I, I don't need to be going here. Where I, you know, I'd, I'd rather go to a place where I, I'm not constantly led to sin by causing division, right? I mean, there's lots of, I guess, different ways that that can happen. So that's sin. That's sin. And I wanted to, again, take some time to really show that as we talk through about division and things like that, division is not just like, well, I'm just kind of gossiping or I'm just kind of, you know, I need to work on that. It is sin. We need to be careful because we are actually sinning when we are doing these things right there, right alongside idolatry and sorcery. So, the second thing, obviously sin is kind of a, yeah, duh. But when we start diving into it and seeing what sin really is, it's maybe sometimes the, the application of, yeah, duh, is a little bit more difficult. But sin, I think most people could say, yeah, that definitely causes problems, that causes division, that can cause disunity, and we need to be on the lookout. The second thing, though, and we already hinted around and you heard some of it already, but it's it's carnality, just carnality in general. In other words, we are we're, we're more worldly minded. We're we're walking more according to the ideas and, and and the systems of man and not God. But this can cause division, disunity, right, within the church. Because if you've got a group of people who are trying to be consecrated, kingdom minded, loving God, loving Jesus, let's just move forward. Let's do what the kingdom of God wants us to be. You know, requires and what. And then you have another group that's like, well, I mean, you know, let's do the bare minimum. You know, let's just, let's just, come on. Let, let's just ha- have our cake and eat it too. We don't, you know, do we really want to go above and beyond? Do we really want to pray? Do we really want to fast? Do we really want to connect? Do we really, you know, th- that, th- those two groups are going to come into tension. Into tension, not in detention. They, they're going to have problems. And, and 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3 says, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. Let me go ahead and just say, he's writing this to the Corinthian church, and a few chapters from here, he talks about the gifts of the Spirit and all this stuff. This is a church that was flowing in the gifts of the Spirit, that was having you know gobs of people speaking in tongues and all kinds of stuff. Um, and, and Paul says, you guys are not spiritual, you are fleshly, you are carnal. This lets us know, like I said before, the measure of spiritual, of, of God's level of what I can, when he considers us spiritual versus carnal. It is when we're walking in the spirit, when we're consecrated before God, when we are exhibiting 
character and fruit and right practical righteousness, practicing righteousness, rather than just some like, ooh, look at the experience, look at the goosebumps, look at the... That is, that is, he is saying, you are babies in Jesus. You are just babies when that is what, that's what you've attained. You're just babies, right? That's all you are, splashing around in the kiddie pool. It's time to grow up and get into the adult pool over here, right? Where the water goes over your head and you actually need to do some real swimming, <laughs> okay? So he goes on in verse two, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready. Again, there are certain teachings and things that Paul had to hold back from them because they couldn't handle it, it would choke them. So don't get mad when there's certain things that maybe a pastor, a teacher, an elder, somebody, I mean, they, they just won't even approach the topic with you. They won't even, you know, they, they don't even, they don't, they won't, don't even go there because you, we can't handle it, right? I mean, the, the deeper things of God are not like greater dreams and visions. The deeper things of God are practical righteousness. You need to get that under control. You need to get that habit under control. You need to stop, you know, stop this with your family. You need to, you know, get, get, get the reins on your children. This is not good. You know, this kind of stuff. That's the, that's the meat. That's the foundation when we're being more like the character of Jesus. Not when we're seeing some deeper vision. We got bigger, we got goosebumps on top of our goosebumps at the last service. Oh, I love that too. I want goosebumps on top of my goosebumps, but I understand that's splashing in the kiddie pool. The deep end is where Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday hits us like a ton of bricks. We get up, we put our boots on, right? We head off to work, we're dead tired, and we still connect that night at service because we're not little babies splashing around in the kiddie pool. If you want to splash around in the kiddie pool, go for it. I love all the people over in the kiddie pool. I don't have anything against the people in the kiddie pool. I love them. I love the kiddie pool. There's times I want to go put my feet in the kiddie pool and just relax a little bit. But I also understand that the Bible does not teach that we should be splashing around in the in the kiddie pool in perpetuity. We should be getting our big boots on. We should be getting our big girl and big boy panties on. And we should be mature adults. Well, it doesn't actually say that in the scriptures. That's kind of me paraphrasing. But we should we should be mature adults, and we should be able to handle the real deep things of God. The deep things of God, the real thing, the foundational core, the meat that he's talking about is not gifts of the Spirit. It is not splashing around in the kiddie pool. It is not, oh, big goosebumps, because they had all that stuff, and he said, you're a bunch of babies. Okay, The deep things are God are what he says right here. Let's go to verse 3. For you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? That's grown-up stuff. Quit the envy. Quit the jealousy. Quit the backbiting. Quit the complaining. Quit, quit, quit these character flaws. Quit the, you can't rein in your teenage son or your, your, your adolescent daughter because, oh, I don't want to step on their toes or I don't want to be a parent that actually parents. Quit the, oh, that's not, I, I think, I don't know if me and my wife are going to be able to make it because, you know, I just, just not working out. Quit that stuff. Quit the normal human carnal way of thinking and let's have godly character. Let's put on our godly mature boots and wade into the oceans to swim in, the waters to swim in. Get out of the, the kiddie pool. This is what he's saying. And I know so many people are going to say, I don't really want that. I like splashing around in the kiddie pool. And that's fine. I'm not, okay? I think there's a lot of people in the kiddie pool that are going to be saved. But there's a lot of people in the kiddie pool that will not be saved. I'm just going to say that too. There's a whole lot of people that are not going to, they're going to speak in tongues, they're going to have goosebumps, they're going to cry, and they're going to 
feel so good. And when God looks at them in eternity, he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. You should have learned how to have the character and the maturity and the grit and the gravitas that is required of men and women of God. But again, that is for the people of God to, to love them and have patience with them and gentleness. But just like Paul said, we got to grow up. We got to grow up. Jude 18 and 19. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions. Here we go. Worldly people devoid of the Spirit. When we are walking around following our own passions, we are worldly. These are the kinds of people that cause divisions. Um, spiritual, truly spiritual people, do they never cause division. Ever. That, that is just a carte blanche. Okay? That is a truism. It is true on its face. It is absolute. People who are truly operating in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, they do not cause division, ever. They never cause division. They never cause dissension. They never they never cause you know, quarrels and all this stuff. They just don't. You know why? Because they have the character of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. It's people splashing in the kiddie pool. They cause division. They cause contention. They cause factions. That's why Paul, Jude, pretty much any of the New Testament writers <laughs> had such a premium on being mature, on growing into maturity in God. So we have sin, we have carnality. And lastly, I, I just want to talk about division as, a, as its own category, its own concept. Because, look, Division is a huge thing. I say this all the time. Satan cannot stop the church. He cannot stop the church. Doesn't matter what he throws at it. Doesn't matter what his plans are. Doesn't matter, you know, if he gets if he wrangles um, the control of the reins in government and has total control and comes at the church with vicious hatred. He can't stop the church. The only thing that Satan really can do is to try and get the church to trip itself up, get the church to stop itself. And one of the biggest tactics is causing some kind of division within the church. That's where it's at. If he can get division in the church, he's done his job. The church will stop itself. So it's very important. That's why we're going to dive into this. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination. Okay? It's an abomination. Check these out. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. It is, division is an abomination to God. I already went through and showed that those three different kind of you know, veins, three different tributaries coming out of that cesspool of division, right? 
rivalries, dissension, division, right? These factions, all this stuff. They're sin. They're clearly sin, according to Galatians. But Proverbs says they are abominations before God, and he hates them. Is our heart of the mind that we are actually in, we should be in total dread that we would ever cause division in the body of Christ. We should, it, it should be a total dread. God, let me walk in a way that I never do this. It's an abomination. It's a sin. You hate it. And it is something that I never want to do. If that's our attitude, we're walking in God, chances are we won't cause division. And if it even starts to creep up, we will immediately rectify it. Now, I'm going to talk about kind of three different things that <clears throat> sometimes kind of get into the body of Christ and do cause division. So first we're going to go to Romans 16, 17 through 20. Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. <clears throat> the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Now, he is making an appeal to the church that when people cause division, that we do not have anything to do with them, that we avoid them. As we go through these things, I want everyone to think about that attitude, you know, that attitude that people have like, oh, it's not fair, people in the church don't want to hang out with me, or I just don't have any friends in the church. Now, if you've been there for three days, come on, give it some time. If you've been there for a year, three years, five years, and there's a whole, I mean, there's no, I mean, not very many people or, or literally nobody wants to, wants to hang with you, maybe we should step back and take a self-assessment of ourselves. And maybe we should even go to a, a trusted leader, an elder, a pastor, um, with mind and heart open and, and say to them, do you see anything in me? that might cause people to not want to be around me because it seems like nobody wants to be around me. Is there something that you can see that I might be doing wrong? Now, I get it. Most people are not going to put themselves out there like that. Most people are not going to be that vulnerable. Most people are going to go, you know, jump on social media and complain about how nobody, you know, everybody in the church is a bunch of clicks and a bunch of, but that's not, you know, most churches, that's really not the case. Um, even very carnal churches, it's, it's rarely the case that, no, you don't fit into any of the cliques that are going on. Like, <laughs> how big is this church? Is it five people? Like, what is going on here? But sometimes, the reason that we don't have friends is, I mean, the, the scriptures tell us, if you want friends, show yourself friendly. Um, you know, be a friend. Be somebody that people want to be around. Um, could it be that there are times that there's legitimate reasons why people don't want to hang around us? 
there are actually scriptural reasons that people are told not to hang around other people. One of them is somebody causes division. It says to avoid them. So maybe, maybe we should check that out. And usually we can't self-assess well enough. So I would, again, I'd recommend going to somebody that loves, loves you or loves me, right? If, I, if this was me, I could go to somebody and say, hey, you love me. You're, you're a mature, you know, man of God. I want to know. Is there something, what, what do I need to change here? What do I need to correct? Is there anything? Am I missing something? And uh, I think if we had that kind of humility, we'd be surprised sometimes um, at the answers we get. So he says to avoid them. Avoid people that cause divisions. And he says, contrary to the doctrine you've been taught. So those with doctrinal differences. And I already mentioned one way to help establish um, some kind of baseline here or to have that addressed is to go to a leader of the church with the issue. I don't see it this way. I think this is wrong, whatever it is. And over time, with, with I'll just use our church as an example. There have been many people that have doctrinal issues. And our stance is always, hey, we love you. We hope you love us. Let's sit. Let's break bread. Let's hear. Let's open the Bible and let's talk about the differences. Now, I say open the Bible because if someone sits down and I feel this and I feel that and I feel this and I feel that and I think this and I, you know, I think that and okay, all that's probably true. You think that and you feel that, but that doesn't mean it's accurate. That doesn't mean it's true. It's true that you feel that way, but it's not true. Or you you think this because you don't like this, but there's really nowhere in the scriptures to support your, your position. Or if it is in the scriptures, it's a twisted view of the scriptures. And as soon as somebody opens their mouth to start showing you other scriptures, you know, you shut off. Now I'm, I'm speaking from experience because I've had this happen many times over the years, many times. Okay. So if somebody knows me and knows, you know, uh, a situation, I'm probably not even thinking about the situation that you're thinking about. Cause I'm here, I'm here to tell you, I don't have to think about one. There's been many, there are many, but somebody comes and has a different view of, uh, of salvation. You know, this is what it, you know, they, they don't believe that repentance is necessary. It's only by grace. Repentance is just a, you know, okay. You have that view, bring it to a leader, bring it to the elders, bring it, you know, a couple of people, let them sit down. Let's, let's break bread and let's open the scriptures. But, but it's the scriptures that triumph. If you've got great scriptures that are like, whoa, I've never seen that before. Let me see how this fits in the context. And then maybe somebody else does. And you break open the Bible and determine the answer from there. But here's what happens. 90% of the time, 80% of the time, something like that. Here's what happens. Somebody has a deep feeling and a few verses that go along with that feeling. And when presented with evidence from Scripture that that may be incorrect, most people, feeling wins out over fact. That's just the way it is. Yeah, I see that, but, well, hold on, before we get to the but, why don't you show me scripturally how this is wrong? Like, I get how you can come up with some, what about this situation over here? What about this hypothetical over there? What about, okay, you know, hypotheticals are hypotheticals. Let's go to the actual scriptures to determine the answer. That's how you handle disagreements, especially doctrinal ones. You don't... Go to someone that's not in leadership in the church 
even if it's a good friend or a family member, you, you don't go to them and complain and break open the Bible and show your half of the story to somebody that may not even have the, the tools to be able to refute what you're saying. Um, even if they did, that's not the way to do it. That is not good. That's causing division. They're not in any position. You have this issue with some doctrine a church stands on. That person's not a leader or anything in the church. They don't have any... They, what, what are you doing? Right? Complaining, quarreling, causing division, sinning. That's what the Bible says you're doing. And the Bible actually says, if that's your friend that takes you out to, to lunch and wants to open up the Bible and complain about stuff that the church is teaching, you're, you're, you're supposed to avoid them. I mean, you could tell them, look, I, I'm not, I'm not, I can't hang with you. Well, why? Well, I want to obey the word of God. I want to love Jesus. And Jesus said, if you have an issue, you shouldn't be causing division. And that's what you're doing. So I can't, I'm supposed to avoid you. He says it right there, Romans 16, 17. So love you, but peace out. Again, this is difficult, but this is what this is how this is how serious God takes it's an abomination to him. It's sin. He hates it. And this is very common doctrinal differences. But but the way to again to 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 bring reconciliation which should always be the heart of someone who is truly walking in love, the way you do that is you go to someone who can actually you know, make a change. I know I spent a lot of time on that, so I won't spend as much time on the next ones. But he goes on, for such persons, the reason they do this, right? They're not serving Jesus. They're serving their own appetites, right? It's a gnawing thing. Like they got this on their chest. They got, you know, they got this thing in their craw. I don't know where the craw is. Is that like in your mind? Is I don't know. They got this in their craw. They, you know, they wa- they're walking around with this offense on their, on their shoulder and they have to, have to, have to dig. They got to say it. They got to make comments. They, they, they can't get it out of their spirit. Why? Because they are serving their own appetite. They're looking for someone to agree with them. They're looking to get their opinion out there. And then it says, and by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. They can sound very convincing. They've got a few scripture verses. They talk about how they love Jesus and they're walking, oh, I just love God so much. And and, and now I'm going to do something that God absolutely hates, that's an abomination to him, but I love him so much, right? Those don't go together. Those those don't jive. And that's what he's saying. Calling their bluff. They're not serving Jesus. They're serving their own appetite. And this is why they're so dangerous and we should avoid them. Why? Because they can deceive people who are naive. That doesn't mean they're ignorant and stupid, but they're, they, they're not aware. They don't have the tools to combat somebody's partial knowledge of the scriptures, right? One of the most dangerous people to get into a conversation with would be the devil, right? You get into a conversation about the Bible with him. He knows a lot of scripture. (laughs) So he'd be able to twist this verse, twist that verse. I mean, he'd be a very dangerous foe if it came to trying to, trying to have a scriptural discussion with him. And so they flatter, right? Oh man, you know, you are so awesome. Oh, God has done incredible things in you. Great to see, you know, where God's taken you. Wow, your walk with God is so evident. Wow, man, you are just doing incredible things for God. Hey, I had this problem with uh, the things the church over there is teaching. <laughs> Abomination. Back it up, buddy. That's what really what we should, what our attitude should be. 
and we're not and we're going to talk a little bit more about that i think in depth when we talk about how to handle situations but again talks about it right here where he goes over but that's doctrinal right and this is in paul's final instruction to the church in rome so it's important stuff so then he goes on and talks about obedience right that's 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 the key here obedience and then he says the god of peace will crush satan under your feet yeah he's going to crush satan under your feet if you don't allow division to destroy the church so the second thing, so that's that's doctrinal differences, doctrinal dis- disputes. The second thing is legitimate little rifts in the church, little clicks in the church, the ones that cause problems and issues. I'm not talking about somebody, you know, there's a group of people that just, they really love sushi, you don't like sushi, and so they didn't invite you to the sushi party. I mean, that that doesn't necessarily mean they're trying to have a click and they're excluding you, right? You've got a group of people getting together for three hours of prayer. You've never really shown a big interest in prayer. Um, or when you have, like, you, you can hang for like 20 minutes and they're like, no, this is a deep prayer meeting. We really want people that are serious and can kind of, you know, again, they're more mature in prayer and they can hang with this. So so you didn't get invited. Oh my gosh, how dare you? Oh, everybody's a bunch of clicks. No, that's not a click. All right? <laughs> when a restaurant is filled to capacity and you want to come in, that restaurant's not being clickish. They have a legitimate reason why you can't come in right now. Okay? A click in the in the negative sense of the word, that the sense that is wrong like it's wrong to have a click is when there's no legitimate reason that someone might be excluded, right? If it's a men's Bible study and a woman wants to go, it's a men's Bible study. <laughs> it's not a click. It's this is we we, we you know but this is where, again, we got to get into that like mindset of maturity and all that, and not everything's about us and complaining and crying about stuff. But I digress. First Corinthians chapter 1, 10 through 14. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you. My brothers... What I mean is that each of you says, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius. So um, both of these, again, I I guess going back to the, the heading here, the subheading, is quarreling, right? You've got quarreling over doctrinal issues. You've got quarreling over little rifts and clicks in the church. And this is going to happen. This is... This is going to happen. We're human beings, uh, but see these people. They again, the Corinthian church. They're carnal. They, you know, oh, I, I'm with Paul. I'm I'm with Paul, Apollos. You know, identifying with specific again cliques that are completely. It makes no sense. What? Why? I, Paul and Apollos and Cephas. They're all on the same. They're all on Team Jesus. Why are we doing this little? But that's the kind of stuff that human beings do, and so we do need to be careful. And we talked about it already, right? When we have things in the body of Christ people who are more drawn to like say prayer or the word or things like that we shouldn't get clickish to where like we're we're opposing each other now or you know we got our thing we're better than you we we should not do that that is wrong causing division and dissension and rivalries within the church can actually lead to sin and that's a real problem it's an abomination to god he hates it so we need to be very careful clicks are not the same as having a a, a a circle of closer friends. I have layers and layers and layers of friends, for instance, within the church of uh, of, of God. I, 
guess what? I'm not as close to everybody as everybody else. The brand new person that I have no idea who they are. I barely know their name. They've been here for, you know, one time. I'm, I love them, of course, their body of Christ, all that stuff, uh, potentially, but I'm pretty sure they're not as close to comrade. <laughs> they're not as close uh, of a friend as somebody that, you know, they've been there through thick and thin. We, there's, there's, a, there's a mutual trust and loyalty there. Uh, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten years of ministry together. That, 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 those are different things. And for people to think that, no, everybody should be treated 100% the same, that is not, there's nowhere in the Bible that says everybody should be treated 100% the same. Everybody should be treated with, uh, you know, equality with uh, equity. I don't know how you want to how you, how you look at those things, right? I'd say equitably, right? With fa fairness and, and everybody should have love, everybody should have grace and that kind of stuff. But again, you can have closer friends than others in a church. There's nothing wrong with that. That's not a click. That's legitimate, right? I get along with this person very well. Maybe they're a close family member, whatever. Um, and again, we have to remember, if we want friends, we should show ourselves friendly. And there are legitimate reasons to avoid people. The Bible lets us know there are legitimate reasons that we should be careful and be leery and watch for people. So we do have to be careful when we start throwing the word click out there and this kind of stuff. I, we really just shouldn't do it. If we're throwing the word click out there, you're probably gossiping, which we're going to get into in a minute. But we should not have illegitimate groups and clicks and rifts and divisions within the body of Christ. This has to be done, obviously, in balance. So... We're going to move on to the next one here. First, again, right? We're, we're talking about division just as a category here. We just dealt with quarreling. Quarreling over doctrinal differences, quarreling in general, clicks, rifts, this kind of stuff. Next, we have offense. Oh, you know what? Let me let me read Titus 3 to, to round this out. Titus 3, 9 through 11. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. See, again, reiterating that it, it's sin. But he says, look, avoid foolish con look, conversations, genealogy, dissensions, quarrels. Let's not get into this stuff if it's starting to cause a problem. We can have healthy, lively debates, you know, um, in-house debates on, again, things like eschatology or whatever. Go to coffee and say, hey, man, what do you think about whatever? Oh, man, yeah, I don't see it that way. Oh, well, I got these scriptures. You got these. All right, man. All right. Well, we'll split the check. Love you, bro. See you on Sunday. If, if you can have a, a again, that that's not a kind of quarrel causing dissension and division. But when we can't agree to disagree, we just probably shouldn't even approach that subject with that person because we don't want to cause unnecessary um, dissension, division, quarrels, this kind of stuff. So he says to avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, and the like. So now moving on, the second thing that can cause divisions and problems, offense, when we get offended. Now, I do want to make the distinction here between what, what the Bible a lot of times call, talks about offense that means something like that causes someone to stumble, right? Versus a lot of times when we say offense, we mean somebody got their feelings hurt. The Bible doesn't really, the, the Bible doesn't really pay a whole lot of um, attention to you just kind of got your feelings hurt. Again, because people who walk with God should be of the mindset that, look, even if they don't recognize it, they don't ask for forgiveness or whatever, I'm going to get over it. This is, you know, no. 
I'm mature. I'm not splashing around the kiddie pool. I, you know, the body of Christ, the unity of, of the spirit, all that stuff is far more important. Um, walking in humility, all that stuff. So let's just make that distinction right away. Many times when the Bible is talking about offense, it's meaning something that is actually a stumbling block to someone, causing someone to stumble. To It's not just, well, somebody took my 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 parking space. I'm doing the air quotes. My parking space. Um, get over it. Oh, I usually sit there on Sunday. See, my Bible was right there and somebody moved it. Get over it. You know what I'm saying? Oh, my, you know, they know my, my daughter doesn't like Cheetos and they serve that in Sunday school anyway as the snack. Get over it. Get those little panties out of a twist. Get over it. That's the Bible answer. Get over it. <laughs> I mean, that's really, that's the thing. But we just love to walk around with our little, our little feelings on our sleeve sometimes. So Psalm 119, 165 says, Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. Other uh, versions of the Bible say nothing shall offend them. But that's what it means. Nothing shall make them stumble. It doesn't mean that people don't have feelings that love the law of God and are walking with God, that you can't hurt their feelings. They're impervious. That it's impossible to hurt their feelings. Of course, that's nonsense. Of course, you can hurt somebody's feelings. Um, but they're not going to let that hurt feeling carry them to the point of truly being offended. That's the key. That's where we, you, you and I will have our feelings hurt. The more, actually, the more you serve and minister and even grow in leadership and stuff, oh, you're going to get your feelings hurt. It's going to happen. 135,000% sure you will have your feelings hurt. But people who are growing in God to a place of maturity where they're in some kind of leadership capacity should not be in the kiddie pool anymore. They should be right in the, in the big, the, the, the big person's pool, okay? And they should be able to say, hey, I got my feelings ready to pray through this, get over this, not going to walk around with offense, the kind of offense that causes to stumble. Now, Proverbs 19.11 says, good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. That's what I just got done saying. Get over it, right? Good sense makes us slow to anger. Proverbs 27, 5 and 6. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Um, people that are kissing your behind, they're not your friends. Okay? I'm just going to say it. You know, you you mess up, you flub up, you do you do something dumb, you make some silly decision, you're, you're, you're playing the fool, you're acting foolish, and people are just like kissing up to you, and man, that's right, you little, man, I can't believe. That person is not your friend. They are your enemy. They are helping you. They're helping you to live in abomination to God and probably helping you scoot yourself along over the abyss into eternal fire. That is not your friend. Trust me, it's your enemy. What is the scripture saying? Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. A friend will open their mouth and, and tell us like it is lovingly, but the goal is to help us. The goal is reconciliation. The goal is, hey, let me. This might be a blind spot for you. Let me just bring this to your to your attention. That is what friends will do. I've had people say about folks around me and different things. I've heard it said multiple times, right? Well, I don't want to ask so and so their opinion because I know what they're going to say. And it's like it's like when what was it? 
no, it wasn't Saul. Was it King Ahab? I think it was Ahab, right? Complaining to Jehoshaphat. He's like, you know, got all these false prophets. Like, yeah, man, victory's yours. You the man, right? A bunch of enemies of Ahab kissing his behind, telling him, oh, yeah, the victory's yours. And Jehoshaphat's like, are there any prophets of Yahweh here? Because these guys are all really sketchy. <laughs> like, he's like, I don't, I don't know. And, and, uh, and Ahab, um, let me see. It, it, it's Ahab. A, is it Ahaziah? Was that who it was? No, 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 no. Ahab and Jehoshaphat. Um, but you know, Jehoshaphat's like, are, you know, are there, are there any servants of the Lord here? Um, because again, these guys, ah, uh, here it is. Here it is. First uh, Kings 22, seven. But Jehoshaphat asked, is there not also a prophet of the Lord here? We should ask him the same question. The king of Israel replied to Jehoshaphat, there is one more man who could consult, who, who could consult the Lord for us, but I hate him. He never prophesies anything but trouble for me. His name is, that's it, Micaiah, son of Imlah. I can't stand him. Why? Because he doesn't kiss my behind and tell me what I want to hear. <laughs> right? And this is this is where Micaiah, right? This is where um, God actually, you know, says, like, you know, I want I want Ahab to go into battle. I'm going to punish him and kill him. Um, how can I do this? And then the spirit's like, hey, I can do it. I can be, a, a, you know, a word of false prophecy in, in the mouths of his prophets. And Micaiah says, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do, do everything that you want to do. God's going to grant you victory. And then Ahab's like, wait a minute. You know, this is the first time that I've ever heard you. You give me a good prophecy. Like, what's going on? He said, yeah, you know, this is what I saw. I saw pe- people lie into you so that you can be punished by God and that whole thing. But this is the picture right here in Proverbs 27. Open rebuke is better than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. We should not want a bunch of yes men around us. That doesn't mean we want somebody that's constantly like overly critical. All they ever do is criticize, criticize. I'm telling you, if you're the type of person that all you ever do, the only time you call somebody, the only time you speak up is when it's negative. Don't be surprised when somebody doesn't want to answer your call. You come up, hey, I want to talk to you after service. (sighs) because they know that means it's something negative. Uh, That should not be the case. If you have stuff, you're in the position where you're going to go to people, that kind of thing, you should balance that with, hey, I want to talk to you after service. Oh, yeah, what is it? I just want to let you know, man, you did a fantastic job up there today. There's, you know, speaking the word or, or, or singing or, man, great job in Sunday school today. The kids loved it. Great craft, you know, great thought put into that. You need to balance it out. I'm just saying. That's just wisdom. But, at the end of the day, I'd rather have a bunch of people around me that are going to tell me how it is. If they're going to open their mouth, they're going to tell me how it is. Not a bunch of people, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And what they're really doing is helping me on my slippery slope to destruction. We should not want people around us like that. Unfortunately, a lot of people would rather have people around us affirming us than people telling us we're wrong. That's just unfortunate, but the Bible says that's not the way it ought to be. Proverbs 18, 19, a brother offended is more unyielding than a strong city, and quarreling is like the bars of a castle. No commentary necessary. <laughs> Ecclesiastes 7, 21 and 22, do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. What's he saying? There's a lot of times I don't even want to hear about it. Like, I don't want to hear it. 
You know, I don't want to hear the negativity. I don't want to hear the, did you hear what so-and-so said? I don't care what so-and-so said. You hear what, I don't care. I really don't care. I really don't care. It's not bothering me. It's not hurting me. All you're going to do is possibly put something in my spirit. And now I got to pray that out. Now I got to, you know, I got a little grudge. I got to get over that kind of thing. That's what we, that's the way we should be. We don't even, we don't want to hear it. Look, I want to love people. And if I need to hear it to address it, it's causing issues, maybe in the body of Christ, or it's actually harming me in some way, not just hurting my feelings or somebody, you see somebody's post on Facebook. I know they were talking about you. Is it bothering me? Are they putting me out of business? Like what? Who cares? <laughs> right? I don't care. I don't follow them on Facebook, right? So maybe there's a reason I don't follow them. There's a reason I didn't see that because I have them blocked on Facebook or at least I don't have their feed coming through. James chapter one, verses 19 through 21. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. So listen to folks, you know, not listen to gossip, which we're going to do next, but, but Quick to hear, we're going to be listen. We're going to listen, right? Slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. We get angry. That's what offense really is. I'm offended. What it really is is we're getting we're getting mad about something that was said, done, right? We can say I'm offended. I'm a victim. But really, what it is is something was done, and now your response is anger. I've been I've been affronted. I've been I have been. Maligned. I'm going to defend my honor, right? This this kind of attitude, and it really it is just you. you our, our response is offense, hurt feelings. We get angry about some, or or hurt, I guess. Uh, verse twenty one says, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive what with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. And again, we talked about meekness last time, so go check that out. Lastly, so we, wow. We're really getting through here. Division, right? We've talked about quarreling. We've talked about offense. And lastly, I'm going to talk about gossip. Proverbs 17, 9, whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. 2 Corinthians 12 and 20, for I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish and that you may find me not as you wish. That perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. Uh, Paul is saying these are things that he doesn't want to be in the church. And I think it's kind of obvious, right? Conceit, hostility, anger, but he, jealousy, right? Gossip. Gossip. Gossip is a very dangerous thing, but gossip is more than a dangerous thing. Gossip is a sin, Romans chapter 1, verses 29 through 32, they were filled with all manner of, here it is, unrighteousness. Unrighteousness, wickedness, sin, right? These are all, this is, unrighteousness is sin, okay? Unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, they are full of, what are they full of? Envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. Oh, that sounds terrible. They are gossips. <laughs> Oops slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. This does not sound like a good group of people. Verse 32, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Uh, he lists gossip in that. Okay, Gossip is a very serious thing. Gossip is a sin. Gossip is unrighteousness. 
gossip is a dangerous thing for the body of Christ. Proverbs 20 and 19, whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, therefore do not associate with a simple babbler. Don't associate with them. So again, somebody who's causing division, right, openly, actively starting quarrels and this kind of stuff, Bible says avoid them. People who complain, 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 they're running around trying to, you know, I don't like this, I don't like that message, I don't like this thing going on, I don't like the way the church is doing that, I don't like this, I don't, that kind of person, the Bible says avoid them. The Bible says don't, don't have anything to do with them, just avoid them. The Bible also says that gossips should be avoided. Proverbs 16, 28, a dishonest man spreads strife and a whisperer separates close, close friends. Proverbs 18, 7 and 8, a fool's mouth is his ruin and his lips are a snare to his soul. Again, gossip is a sin. It is actually detrimental to our soul. It will ruin us. Verse 8, the words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the of the body. Now, gossip, um, there's this thing that people have. A lot of us do. We like to be in the know, right? We just had the election cycle, Biden, Trump, and all this, right? And I can't tell you how many people had like the inside scoop on they knew this little this little thing right here. They knew this little thing over there. They knew this was going to happen over here. There was this thing over here that, man, I'm telling you, nobody knows about this, but this is going to happen. I just, okay, come on. You know, some dude with, you know, 10,000 followers on Facebook knows this inside scoop thing and like nobody, nobody else knows about it. That's highly suspect. Um, not impossible, but you know, a lot of these, I'm telling you, I've prob probably a half dozen I've heard of these things like over the last like three months. I don't think I believed any of them. And um, I was very correct in my skepticism because all of those, su those supposed dates, every one of them came and went and it was like a nothing burger. Um, but we all have this thing. We want to be in the know, right? So we find, oh, oh, oh this secret knowledge. This, it's a very tantalizing thing right? This is why like secret societies and all kinds of, they, they have a lot of, I'll say merit, a lot of uh, people who, who like to buy in because it's, oh, the secret thing. There's like these secret handshakes that we do, or there's these secret meetings we have where we get together and super secret, right? It, it, it appeals to a lot of people, right? Or just go online, right? Oh, I know stuff about the book of Revelation. Nobody knows this. Nobody knows this. It's right there on a YouTube video for anybody to see, but nobody knows. Okay, you know, whatever. We all, but again, a lot of people buy into this stuff. A lot of people love like knowing stuff that other people don't know. And that's a lot of the appeal of gossip. Even though we might know that gossip is a sin, we might know it's wrong. Oh, it goes down like a delicious morsel. That's what Proverbs says anyway, right? <laughs> I mean, it just does because it just, oh, I want to, oh, your ear perks up. You know, I heard something more. I want you to pray with me about something that I heard. Oh, yes. I need details so I can pray more effectively, right? Um, But this is how it is. But gossip is a sin. Gossip is a sin. I'm going to say that again. Gossip is wrong. Gossip is evil. Gossip is an abomination to God. How do I know that? Well, gossip causes division, and division is an abomination of God. Sowing discord among the brethren. So we need to be careful. Now, 
there are legitimate reasons why we would be talking about situations within the church. So I don't want to say that every time two people get together and discuss a matter in the church, it that that is the definition of gossip. I don't think that's correct. Gossip um, is more along the lines, you've got people discussing stuff that A, e, I'll say either A, they have um, no desire for reconciliation. They're not, they're not discussing this to try and how do we reconcile, how do we do this, how do we approach this person, or B, they have, they're in no position to do anything about it. Okay, they, those kind of overlap, but, right, that's gossip. Why are we, even, why are we talking about this, right? Are, are you going to go to them and talk to them about this, and you're asking me to come with you because you've already talked to them, and, oh, well, no, I just wanted you to know, I just thought, no. Okay, we're going to talk about the correction side of unity, I think, in our final our final uh, session on this series. So I'm not going to get into it too much here, but there, there's a there's a process that we need to go through found in, was it Matthew 18, um, that that we need to we need to go through in order to approach people in the body of Christ. But that's usually that's not gossip. Hey, I went to this person addressed this thing, but now you know they've 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 not changed. They've not done. They're still they're still doing this. It's very hurtful. It's harmful for the body. Whatever. Now I'm coming to you know a leader. I'm coming to somebody that's mature and wise, objective third party. I'd like you to come and you know help mediate in this thing. That's not gossip, okay? But lots of people gossip. Now let me, let me just give you a couple of quick a a test of gossip, a way to test gossip. One, were you directly involved with the situation? All right. If you're not directly involved in the situation, immediately the alarm bell should go off. Why are you discussing? Why are you opening your mouth and starting to talk about this situation or this person? Why? Why are we discussing this? Right. So, what is the what is the motive behind this discussion? Um, another question. Right. First, so are you directly involved? Two, are you speaking with someone in a position to do something about it? So, are you taught? Are you going to a leader? Somebody that? Hey, you know, there was this. Um, you know, I know, let's say, for instance, we we'll use our church as an example, right? We we have certain ministries that are more kind of front-facing. Front they have a little bit more of an influential position. And in those ministries, we might have a higher level of requirements for people because we want people that are, again, right? They are aligned with the the spirit of God. They're aligned with the with the leadership of the church. That we They are consecrated, you know, folks that doctrinally they're sound, like these kinds of things, right? Because they're in a position of more influence. It doesn't have to be a straight-up leadership position, but of more influence. And uh, let's say someone's in a, in a role, right? They're in a teaching role. They're in, a, they're in a, you know, a teaching role where they have a lot of influence over other people. There's a, you know, a church-backed Bible study that's going on, and somebody sees that person jump up on the, on the table in the food court and start cursing out... Um, uh, the the person that gave them their food at Chick-fil-A, right? Or whatever place, right? They're just dropping F-bombs, cursing them out. How dare you get my order wrong? I'm tired of this junk, blah, 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 blah. And then somebody sees that and they bring that to the leader and say, say hey, listen, this person's a part of this ministry. I saw them doing this, right? What should we do? This needs to be corrected. This is not pro- you know proper behavior, right? They're going to somebody to 
to rectify the situation, somebody who's in a position to do something about it. So that's not gossip. They're actually wanting reconciliation. They're wanting this person to, you know, hopefully they're wanting this person to lovingly be addressed, not I'm trying to get this person in, in trouble so I can then take their spot. <laughs> Refer to the earlier discussion about partisanship within the, within the body of Christ. So, so I would ask these questions. Am I directly involved with this? Am I speaking to someone that is in a position to do something about it? And what is the intent? What is the intention here? Even if you're directly involved with it, you could still be gossiping. What's the intent here? Why would you be sharing this with somebody else? So I would say, unless you're in a position of leadership, right, in a position to deal with the situation, even saying, oh, let's pray about it. No, no, no. If you want to have someone pray about something, just say, hey, there's some things going on in the body of Christ. I think there's potential here for some disunity. There's potential here for division. Help me pray. That's all you got to say. God knows who it is, what the situation is. You don't have to give any details whatsoever. The only reason we need details is because they go down like delicious morsels. But we should back off of that. Now, Proverbs 21-23 says, Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. We need to we need to realize this. Keep the kibosh many times on our mouth. Um, now, how do we avoid gossip? Remember, gossip requires at least two parties. There's the gossiper, the talker, the one that wants to share things, but it requires a listener. Now, if they're gossiping to themselves, I mean, they already kind of know about it anyway, so I guess it's, you know, I guess it's harmless to the body of Christ, at least. It might still be an abomination to God, though. <laughs> you need to get that out of your spirit. Quit talking about it and thinking about it and, you know, letting it fester and harbor, right? You're being, you're, you're being offended over something. But it requires a listener. And as the listener, here's what we should do. We should not listen. When someone wants to start talking about a situation, talking about a person, even if they preface it with, oh, will you help me pray? They start giving you details, say, nope, I don't want any details. I don't want to get into gossip here. I don't even want the I don't even want the possibility of gossip. You want me to pray about a situation? You just give me the very basics, such as there's somebody in the church going through something. Help me pray. <laughs> there you go. Very very generic. People start giving you details. Stop them. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear about it. I'm not gossiping. I'm not gossiping. Right? You can ask questions like, "Hey, I'm not a leader. Have you taken this to a leader?" right? This is something a leader should be addressing. Or, hey, hold on a second. I don't feel comfortable talking about this this person without them being present. If you want to talk about this, we should get that person and the three of us can sit down and talk, right? Or you can just tell the gossip, hey, we're not in a position to address this. Like neither of us is really in a position to do anything about this. So we shouldn't be talking about it. Let's take it again to somebody who is, is in that position. Shut the gossip down. Gossip requires a listener. So even if we're not the one who wants to go out there and you know talk about people or talk about situations or yip, 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 maybe we know this scripture, Proverbs 21, 23, whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. Um, I would add to this scripturally, right, that we should also guard our ears because gossip requires a listener. So maybe we're not the one to open our mouth and be divulging all kinds of stuff, but let's not give ear to gossip, and that will put the kibosh on gossip. Gossip requires not just the gossiper, it requires a listener. So let's not listen. So 
just to kind of recap here, a couple of things that they will hinder unity and harmony within the body of Christ, which can hinder the work of God. It can hinder the kingdom of God. It can hinder the church of God. It can hinder the work that God has for a specific body. And that's why it's important. We need harmony. We need unity, not just because they're cool, not just because they're nice, but because that is what God wants in order to see his will done through his ecclesia. So here are the things. Sin. Can't tolerate sin. We don't need sin. We need it out of our lives. We need to be obedient to Jesus Christ in all things. Not just our little, oh, well, yeah, I don't murder people, but I do this over here. No, all things we need to obey Jesus. We need full consecration in our lives. We need to aspire to sanctification, to consecration, practical righteousness, all those things. Second is carnality. So even if it's not a sin in and of itself, we need to try and be more and more like God and less and less like the world. So even if it's car- if it's just, I'll say, quote unquote, just carnal, we need to be very careful. We need to be very limited in how, my, how much we do that just feeds our flesh. It doesn't mean we can't have some entertainment. It doesn't mean we can't do go do something that's just fun. But we need to be limited. We need to be careful. We need to guard it very carefully because if we are carnally minded, we are the enemy of God. When we get too carnally minded, we can easily start to trip and fall into division and dissension and these types of things. Speaking of division, right, there are a couple of things that we need to be on guard against when it comes to division. Quarreling is one of them, whether that's over doctrinal differences or just just rifts and clicks within the church. So quarreling, offense, meaning hurt feelings and these types of things. We need to be able to get over those things, be mature. We need to work those things out, pray. And next week, we'll talk about how to actually approach people and how to have correction within the body of Christ in order to keep unity and harmony. But quarreling, offense, and lastly, gossip, which we just covered. Those are the things we really need to be on the lookout for, and we need to squash them within the body of Christ. Individually, we need to squash them. We need to say, you know what? I want unity. God wants unity. It is a command from God. It is his desire for the church. I want to be part of his ecclesia. I want to be part of his his authority in the earth. I want to be part of the kingdom. And therefore, division and dissension, these are sinful things. They will have no part in me. They will have no part in my family. And they will have no part in my church. So, it's gone on a little bit long today, but we covered a lot. I hope this has been helpful. Again, podcast at breadbreakers.com. If you have any questions or you want to fuel the discussion in any way, don't forget to like, subscribe, comment, and all of that. I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus that this helps you to grow. This helps your family to flourish in God and to put on the blinders so that you can just walk in unity and harmony and, and not open the door for things like gossip and quarreling and offense and this kind of stuff that we can just walk together in unity in God because that's where God can do incredible things and the kingdom of God can go on unimpeded and unhindered because Satan will get run over like a steamroller when the church doesn't stop itself. I love you guys. God bless you and we will catch you on the next episode.